Hello everyone, welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands, I'm the Head of Content at B2B and I'm joined today by Catherine Delapore, who is a leadership coach and performance expert and one of our keynote speakers at Ignite London, which takes place on the 29th and 30th of June. So Catherine, welcome. Um, how are you doing? How do you like our podcast setup at Turmill Studios? Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, no, it's it's lovely in here. It's very cosy and um, very professional. So all all good. Excellent stuff. And we were talking before. And turns out we've got a very similar sort of background in terms of both growing up around the sort of Hampshire, Surrey area near Farnham. Yeah, Surrey um, girl, through and through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry to any of our listeners about that, but what can you do? Um, but yeah, no. So before we go any further, can you just tell us a little bit about your your current role and just generally your background in B two B to date? Yeah. So um, I'm here representing the Achieve Institute. Um, so Achieve has been around for about twenty years. It was founded by Mark Cunningham. Um, it's a US based business, but we are actually expanding now into European market. Um, and it's a fascinating business because we only focus on performance. And look, performance is a fascinating thing to think about from a human and psychological perspective. But I wear lots of hats. I've got my own business. I am a professor, an adjunct professor at Hult International Business School too. And I teach management psychology, um, the science of happiness and well-being. I do know the secret of happiness. Just saying. Interesting. Well, we get to that later on in, in, in the episode, you think? Maybe, yeah. I might give a little little uh, a little bit of interest there just to just to get a few more people a few more punters through the door <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly what we need yeah um but yeah i mean performance you mentioned it already that's obviously what we're here to talk about mm. today and i think you know when you talk about performance in any arena so whether that's a high level football match or if mm. it's in business or if it's in music or whatever it is there's there's certain conditions you need in place for people to feel like they can perform i'm, I'm guessing but I'd, I'd imagine that's the case a is that something you would agree with um, and B, with all the uncertainty going on in the world right now, mm. how do you think that actually impacts performance? Oh, hugely. I mean, massively. I think, you know, to, to start with, we need to really understand and define performance. So the Achieve Institute um, thinks about performance in two ways. Firstly, um, at an individual level, it's about mindset and attitude. Mm -hmm. At an organisational level, it is about culture and environment so thinking about what you've just said, the environment that I'm working in will have a dramatic impact on my ability to perform well. And particularly when you think about performance, you want consistent high performance because, mm. you know, most of the time performance goes up and it goes down. But actually what we look at is what do you need to put in place in order to have consistent high performance? So that, that's one side of it. And that's probably like 80 percent mm. of performing at your very, very best. The other side is how we as humans take on challenges. And to your second point about uncertainty, there is huge amount of uncertainty. There's a word, isn't there? V the VUCA world, is it the, I can never know, volatile, blah, 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 uncertain. You're asking the wrong person. Okay. It sounds good. <laughs> yeah, um, we're living in that world. And um, humans don't like uncertainty. Mm. And when we are presented with uncertainty, um, what can happen is we start our biases, our inherent cognitive um, errors, which is how our brain works, get triggered. And so that can be really harmful to performance. So learning to manage our emotions is like central to um, 
consistent high level performance. So that how we overcome challenges is part of what we do with clients at the Achieve Institute. Fantastic. Well, we'll get to the emotions slightly later, Mm. but around the the culture and environment side of things, you mentioned that this is obviously a hugely important part of any high performing team and individual. Mm. What do you think uh, a good environment looks like or a good culture looks like? Mm. So let's think about human emotional needs for a second. Um, And many people probably at school learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So, um, I think the 20th century offered us um, high-level thinking from economists, which was wonderful. And that's how we made sense of the world. And that's how, in a a sense, how we have created the system that we now exist in, which is, in my opinion, an over-financialized system. And it assumes that humans are logical. We are rational. Um, What the economists realized is actually humans are not logical or rational and um, hence why we've moved more now towards a psychological model of understanding why humans do what they do. Mm. And that really starts with um, the fact that at a very simplistic level, our thoughts, so that includes our beliefs, our values will influence how we feel, our emotions will influence how we behave. And that's how it works. Thoughts, feelings, behaviours. And I think, you know, this idea of how humans make sense of the world is really around um, something called emotional resonance. So being in an environment where either I am my emotions are helping me, they're serving me to perform at my very, very best. Or I'm having the opposite of that, which is a fear response. Now, the 20th century was kind of, um, has sort of evolved where management thinking was very much around um, do as I say, directive style of leadership, um, carrot and stick. Mm -hmm. There were obviously a set of societal norms that went alongside of that. And look, fear can be helpful. Fear can create high performance. There's no doubt about it, but it's short term. It's a short term fix. So if I get shouted at on a sales floor, I mean, I grew up in B2B sales, you know that we've just talked about that. Um, Then guess what? I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to make 10,000 calls because I'm afraid. Yeah. But over the long term, I am going to be, that's going to cripple me. I'm just going to be afraid. And that's going to mean that my performance goes down. Yeah. So fear and loathing yeah. <laughs> and that kind of management style certainly works, but it is an absolute short-term approach. We need to think long-term when it comes to performance. And we need to understand that emotion is something that... Um, can really help us. I mean, even the word emotion, I'm really fascinated by the roots of words, but the old French, mouver, means to move. Um, And that's what we do. That's what emotions make us do. So positive emotions like love and trust, we move towards each other. Um, Negative emotions, fear, anxiety, um, we want to run away, the fight or flight response. That's at a very simplistic level. That's how the human, that's how humans work. So if I'm working in a, toxic 
environment at work where other pe- I'm experiencing other people in a very negative way and I'm therefore afraid, um, you're not going to see the best of me. Mm. So that that's, those are the negative emotions. But looking towards the positive ones, mm-hmm. there's a really interesting book which you may or may not have read. I think it's called Drive. I might be butchering that. Do you know the one? I do. Yeah. And Damn so pink. I, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, better than me. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I read this about a year ago, and he he talks about this is really to really sum up the book um, in the shortest way possible. I'd mm. say it's around it's people perform actually quite badly when they're motivated either by money or as you said by kind of you know fear. Um, and what he kind of gets to, I th- I think, unless I'm misunderstanding the whole premise of his book, mm. is that what motivates people is this kind of element of self control. Um, and also an element of fun in it. You know, if you make, if you almost gamify something and you make it something enjoyable, people are just going to perform higher. Yes. Is that something you agree with? Absolutely. I mean, I love Dan Pink's work. Um, I follow it. Um, I've read that book. And yeah, he, he talks about three things. He talks about purpose, that actually humans want to and move towards something that is bigger than themselves Mm. they want something uplifting they want something hopeful actually and organizations that are able to um create a purposeful vision mission i mean if let's take patagonia i mean Mm. that's a brilliant example i know it's not b2b um but um yeah they've they've created an incredibly hopeful brand and you know great you know that would be from a talent perspective you're going to be you know fighting people off i want to work there you know i'm i'm really i'm completely into what you're trying to achieve here mm. it's uplifting for me it gives me energy i mean that's emotion gives you energy or it drains your energy those two things um so that purpose piece that north star that is actually meaningful for humans it's an environmental thing it's a social societal mm. impact or it's you know government governance doing the right thing esg so all of that 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 is crucial to humans self actualizing which is the posh word for saying kind of having meaning and purpose in my life the other two things are mastery so mm-hmm. i want i want to improve i want to get better and any organization now who is realizing that and embracing it from the point of view of actually embedding a learning culture mm. absolutely that's what we need to do and so many companies now are, are investing in learning management systems and they are get providing um budgets now for both both personal and professional development and frankly in an uncertain word let's go back to uncertainty yep. the only thing we can do now for our employees is to prepare them and keep them relevant that's the only thing we can do because we can't guarantee you a job anymore. Let's look. I mean, all yeah. of, think about all of, all of those redundancies from the tech world recently. You'd think on paper, oh, my God, we've got a job for life. And suddenly Google, Facebook, all of those companies are letting hundreds of highly specialist technologists go. Yeah. So the only thing that an employer can now do for is, is to skill, reskill, upskill and um, give, give um, employees that um, skills-based advantage. Mm -hmm. And then the final thing is autonomy. I want control over my future. But how can people have control over their future if they don't know if their job's going to be there in two months? Well, I can at least take... I have agency. Yeah, Yeah? All humans have agency. So I can choose to invest in my future. I can choose to control my emotions or manage not control manage my emotions um which is the performance awareness piece um 
And ultimately, I can choose where I want to spend my time. And if you look at companies like Spotify, for example, where they've implemented this work from anywhere policy, um, it's probably, and let's link that to performance, high level, consistent commercial performance on bottom line, what we what we measure today, mm. um, they are smashing it. And yet they've handed over full control to their workforce to literally work from anywhere. And that could, that could also include working in the office or working remotely. Is that correlation though or is that causation? Because that would be my first question. I mean, mm. I know a lot of people out there think that the work from home thing is, is great, you know, and they love that flexibility. But I know a lot of people also think that, you know, I don't have enough time to spend my team. I can't build any sort of meaningful connections. If you're junior staff, you never, I, I would argue that you don't necessarily gather the same amount of information through osmosis. Mm. Is that work from home piece, is that actually the cause of, of those financial benefits? I think, I mean, you've got to look at the demographic of your workforce. Mm. And you, I, I think everything has to be personalised, yeah. ultimately. And I think it depends on the function that you're working in, of course. All of that stuff matters. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. I think it's about having sensible conversations with sensible human beings, what we adult to adult conversations, what is it you want? What is it you need? Um, where, and where are we going? You know, that kind of like, what does the future look like? How can we support you to do that? But within some guardrails of, yeah. you know, this is also what the team needs to achieve. This is what the company is looking to achieve. So I think those kind of grown up conversations absolutely need to happen. What I don't agree with is this sort of cover all you're going you're coming back to work who, and yep. and there's no choice and there's no discussion i think that's the wrong approach but yep. you know let's see i mean maybe it does suit the financial services industry to, <laughs> to take that approach maybe that maybe i will be proven wrong so yep. let's see so in terms of building a high performing team do you think it's about kind of setting goals and then kind of leaving the team to figure it out themselves or is that is that Way too much of a stretch. I think so. One of the things that I learned from Mark Cunningham, who founded the Achieve Institute, and this, there's a, we have a deck, a credentials deck, and one of the one slide that really stood out for me is this idea that most organisations don't have a future; they only have a past. Go on. Okay, now I've got you intrigued, haven't <laughs> yeah. I? So think about this. Um, when it comes to performing well in the present, like here and now, we're having a really great conversation. You're getting the most out of me. I'm getting the most out of you. And that's um, a really good, that's, we're, so we're able to perform at our very best. We're present for each other. Um, the question is, um, in order for people to perform well in the present, what do you think is more important, the past or the future? I would argue the future because it's about a goal and somewhere you're trying to get, whereas the past is just going to be been there, done that. Absolutely right. Yeah. And that's what high performers know and say. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, we need to know where we're going, which comes goes, goes back to the point about around Dan Pink's purpose. Where are we going? What is the North Star? But actually start there. So let's imagine that you and I have met before. Yep. We've had a go at a podcast it didn't go very well um i came in unprepared you thought i was a bit silly i thought you were a bit arrogant if we if we came into that conversation carrying that past projecting that past experience of each other guess what we would flop this would be a really negative conversation we wouldn't bring out the best in each other so every moment of every day being present and actually gratitude 
is really important in order that we can all perform at our very, very best. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we had an idea coming into this conversation that we wanted to make a success of it. So we gave each, each other the chance to do that. Mm. Um, and that's why, hopefully, we're landing this incredibly well. <laughs> oh, I hope so, too. I think we <laughs> If, okay, so bringing the leader into all of this, yes. um, how can they actually turn everything you're saying into something real? Okay, so I think it just comes back to one thing. Um, and unfortunately, our school system doesn't help us with this one thing, which is performance awareness. So that is the idea of... Um, firstly accepting that we are sentient beings that we are emotional beings we're not logical and rational mm. um so that's the first place to start and then understanding that actually becoming aware of our emotions and the impact that they have on our ability to perform well in the moment so i think that's the first thing that leaders um that's the real opportunity is just to go i realize that on a bad day if you think about emotions that you're having on a bad day, what what would they be? Um, oh, your worst day. Frustra- just frustration to the point of apathy. Yes. Frustration, apathy, negativity, low energy, all of that stuff that will have an impact, a negative impact on your ability to show up. Yeah. Yourself. So it's about becoming aware of that. And then you may have a choice. You can carry on in that way of thinking mm-hmm that mindset or you can go do you know what this is not this is not serving me this is not helping me and particularly with leaders they are the role models they are in front of people it's like a goldfish bowl everyone is looking at you and if you're not able to um, show up and manage your emotions unfortunately that will lead to um, a disastrous consequences we talked about at an organizational level even in a sort of team climate I like thinking about culture that's the macro organizational level and then team climate. Mm. But you have team climates that are unfortunately are just the opposite of high performance. You've got leaders who just, for whatever reason, have never learned how to manage their emotions. And I think that's the biggest opportunity for organizations. Devil's advocate. Yes. Um, are you managing those emotions or are you bottling them up? No, 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 no. Um, good quest- great, great question. Um, hu- emotions happen whether we like it or not they just and uh mentioning another book um the chimp paradox by steve peters i think he's a doctor actually dr steve peters um i saw him speak at an event recently and you know it's it's a it's a fantastic book and of course he says look we all have emotions okay just accept that and the second thing is we can't stop those emotions but we can learn to manage those emotions. Mm. And so, yes, bottling them up is not a good idea. Suppressing them, pushing them down, because in the end, they will come out in some shape or form. And that could, and that is often, if we haven't worked through those emotions, um, and that may involve anything from psychotherapy. <laughs> yep. Uh, right through to just having conversations with friends around over dinner or drinks and going, you know, I just had this experience at work. I just need to talk it through. I need to make sense of what has happened. And if you think about the the, the sort of British cultural (laughs) environment and all of those things like stiff upper lip and, you know, just 
what, 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 what can we think of? Tropes, Keep British tropes. Keep calm and carry on. Yes, exactly. It's all very sort of... Uh. Look, these are helpful. These are helpful. But at the same time, if you have experienced trauma in your life, if you have had something happen to you and you haven't been, been able to work it through, in the end, it will come up and bite you in the bottom. So for the leader then, is it about managing your emotions and kind of, uh, you know, spreading a, a sense of kind of calm and, and control, if you like, mm. looking forward, so yes. setting goals yes. and then helping your team members kind of go around their own path to achieving those goals? Is that a fair kind of summary or, or am I missing anything or have I got anything radically wrong there? No. So I think going back to the sort of model that we work from, which is this um, attitude and mindset I mean, attitude and mindset is comprises lots of different elements. Mm. One of those elements is um, about relationships. Um, and I'm not talking about personal relationships. I'm talking about relationships with things. So we talked earlier about uncertainty. Mm. We all have a relationship with uncertainty. Yep. Some of us like uncertainty. We're very kind of, you know, relaxed well, I, about I it. it. So you hate use it. Use me as an example, if you like. There you go. Yeah. So... Um, um, and I used to hate uncertainty as well. What's interesting about uncertainty and why some people are able to embrace it is that they realise that um, actually, and this I think this is a, a quote from Stephen Covey, his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, this idea that actually, you know, your job shouldn't define you. Um, and this is, a, this is a message I want to send out to the world actually this morning, which is, you know, because some people are facing redundancy, they are having difficulties at work, There's, there is this horrible, the sword of Damocles is, ho is hovering over many, many people right now with the AI, and I know you've got some questions about AI in the future. Um, at the end of the day, our ability to imagine, mm. our ability to create, our ability to ideate, fundamentally... We all have that. That's a unique human gift. And so we can create our future. Mm. We can do that. And it, uh, one of the coaching um, things that I do with clients sometimes is if you think back, if you think back to 10 years ago, when you, maybe it's less for you actually, when you, <laughs> when, when, you, when you entered the workforce, there was a time when you couldn't do what you're doing now. True. And yet you have created, you've developed, you have learnt how to do this stuff. And you will continue to learn and develop. And that's the fortunate thing about humans is if we are open and we really imagine, if we rely more and lean more into our imaginations, that is, that is, that is actually our health and resilience right there, being more imaginative and creating and I think that is often the opposite of what a lot of companies um, are asking their workforce to do, which is about fixing problems. Yeah. And, you know, you're sort of stuck inside this problem and you just into fix mode. You know, it's actually forget forget that create don't fix. That's actually one of the mantras from the Achieve Institute, create, don't fix. Do you think that um, marketers are kind of blessed in that sense because the role is inherently creative, whereas there are other roles you know naming no names um, mm. which are slightly less creative so the imagination is almost stifled mm. like, does that play a difference do you think or are we talking about imagination in a broader kind of career and life sense yeah I think do you know I, I for years I told myself that I wasn't creative mm. 
I am inherently, we had this conversation earlier, yep. <laughs> a logical, rational human being. And I, that's how I think. I think with, um, with data. I'm a data, I'm a geeky kind of person. Um, and for years, I convinced myself that I wasn't creative. That actually was a really unhelpful thought or framing. And um, I had a very successful career in B2B sales. So much of that was actually creating a solution for clients being creative in that process of selling. But I, ne I never kind of gave myself a pat on the back for that. And I look back now and I just think, actually, and I think that's where a lot of people are right now. They are, they are just in execution mode. Mm. Got to get this done by this time. Da, da, da. So it's just do, 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 do. Action, 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 action. <laughs> and I actually think that, um, you know, we're at this kind of, well, we are. We are at this tipping point, without a doubt, where, you know, we're expecting... And, 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 I, and I think back to an article um, that I read many, maybe two or three years ago. It was, a, it was a terrible article, actually, about Amazon and the way they were treating their workforces in the, in the warehouses. Mm -hmm. And this article has stayed with me because um, some of the employees, they were being um, measured against how many boxes they packed. I can't remember exactly um, what it was. They had to perform certain tasks within a certain time frame to the extent that even taking toilet breaks was problematic. The fix for taking the toilet breaks was that they started wearing adult nappies. Is this real? <laughs> According to this particular article, okay, um, and it was from memory in a fairly reputable, yeah. it was a reputable source. Yeah. It wasn't just, you know, some other type of... Um, rag. Rag, yeah. <laughs> um, of course, it's it's good to question these things. Um, but that's, that's the point that we're at, where humans are being asked to work at a rate that is just not sustainable. And... The future, of course, is man and machine. And on the one hand, you could argue that, oh, my God, you know, we're, we're, we're going to lose our jobs. Mm. My hope, and I mean, you know, I, I posted on LinkedIn the other day that brilliant little video, which is all about um, the last job on Earth. I don't know if you've ever seen. No, please, though, tell, tell us. Well, the last job on Earth, um, it was created... Um, I don't know. Andy Haldane is was his name is on there, and he's also the CEO of um, the Royal Society of Arts, which I'm a member of. And it was done, I think, in conjunction with the Guardian. But it's literally a kind of cartoon, hugely the huge pathos in this, where this girl gets out of bed and it's all very techy, and her she's brushing her teeth, and you know, she's got her robot dog chasing her. It's like it's very dystopian. Yeah. And she walks into work and it's really worth watching it because if you look behind the girl, you can see extraordinary things that you think, my God, yeah, that's happening. This is really going to happen. Like, for example, there's a food bank queue in the, back, in, in the, yeah. in the, for, in the far ground and she sort of looks, looks over and then she arrives at this office and hers is the last desk. And then the computer says... Unfortunately, we are, we are upgrading our systems, and you are no longer required. Mm. I mean, so so so, talk about talk about fear response. <laughs> yeah, that that you know, this is a future that for certain people is real now. 
um, and companies are increasingly saying we're going to cut 20% of our jobs in the next year. I, was it BT, one of those companies recently? Maybe it wasn't BT, but anyway, there was an organisation who just came out and said that. I think a lot of the big financial services institutions are doing all administrative ta- tasks are being cut. However, there is a there is an opportunity for humans in this brave new world. I'm hopeful of that. I am hopeful. Mm. Um, what's the worst case scenario? As my son and I were talking, he's 17. He said, maybe we'll just be paid to, to stay at home and have leisure, mum. And I'm like, yeah. Maybe. Unlikely. <laughs> I mean, worst case scenario, if you're asking me, have you ever seen Terminator? Yes, yeah. I love those films. Oh, my God, <laughs> I love them. That's kind of where I'm going with Yes. It. No, I don't know. I, I'll play um, devil's advocate because a, a lot of people I speak to are really kind of positive on AI and they're, they're really excited by it. Mm. I'm not at all. I, I, I mean, it's obviously incredible. Um, I'm not denying the kind of technical marvel that is chat GPT and, and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, but for me personally, it scares me a bit because look at my job. There's a lot of writing it's a lot of planning um ai can probably do that in a couple of years where does that leave me Mm. i don't know and then for a leader's point of view Mm -hmm. how do you inspire confidence throughout your team if they also know that you're fiddling around with ai it's not very inspiring yeah well i put i talking about linkedin again i put a post out there a couple of weeks ago asking the question how many managers are using chat to to, to, i always forget the the three letters gbt um are they using in their performance reviews Interesting. Yeah. Um, and about 40% of people said, yes, they are. How so? Like, what are they, how are they, well, if you, are they getting it to write the performance review? Yeah. Just, if you're putting some parameters in. Um, this is, this person is like this. He did the things I think they have to work on, you know, make some recommendations. Mm. These are shortcuts. Yeah. These are shortcuts. I mean, and the, and the human brain, going back to performance, the human brain is inherently lazy. Yeah, especially mine. <laughs> um, yeah. It takes like it takes huge amounts of energy um, to sort of open your eyes and be become aware, and that's why we're creatures of habit, and that's why we carry on doing what we've always done. Mm. Um, somebody famously said that the six most expensive words in business, I think it was a CEO of Intel, she said. We've always done it like this around here. Six most expensive words in business. So staying as you are will lead to probably disaster. Yeah. Um, We have to embrace change. But that starts with performance awareness. Because as we said earlier, we have relationships with different things. Some people do not like uncertainty, which means that their brain is going to go into monkey mode. I'm really afraid. I don't know. What happens when we go into kind of chimp mode, when the chimp takes over and starts running around the room, is we stop thinking straight. I mean, there's, a, you know, I, I, I can't think straight is a is a chimp comment. Yeah. Um, and so your IQ plummets and you can't perform at your best. So that is why, going back to your question around leaders, leaders need to role model that emotional management that needs to happen from the top. And I don't think, and it's not about knowing anymore, because we don't know. We yeah. really don't know. No. Um, and people have diff- a different worldview. Like your worldview around AI is different from my worldview mm. around AI. Who knows? Um, so actually, uh, uh, the only approach I think that is um, appropriate now is a, a coaching approach. 
which is asking questions and leaning into the wisdom of the team. Mm-hmm. And David David Ogilvy famously said, I don't care where the ideas come from. They can come from the cleaners. They can come from the boardroom. I don't care. I just want your ideas. So what do we mean by coaching approach? Because I know there's a difference in coaching and mentoring, but mm-hmm. specifically, let's break it down if someone doesn't quite fully understand what we mean by that. Yeah, so coaching is typically... Um, Coaching is um, helping someone to think out loud. Mm. Um, And that involves asking powerful questions. So it's really helping someone to tap into their ways of thinking. So thinking patterns can serve us or they can derail us. Negative thinking patterns, negative emotions, negative behaviors, positive thinking patterns, and and so it goes on. And what dictates those thinking patterns is who I am, who, how I see myself. So my identity, if you were to write I am at the top of a piece of paper, what would come after that? It dictate, it's dictated by your worldview, how you see customers, how you see your colleagues, how you see. So some of that can be positive. Some of that may be not so positive. Um, and also, as I said, our relationships with uncertainty, with risk, all of those things. And we all have a relationship with those things. Whether or not we acknowledge though that relationship is another thing. So the coaching is designed to um, unlock that little box of tricks. And of course, so much of our thinking and our thinking patterns are in the subconscious because it's stuff that we learned. Yeah. And there's something called foo stories. I don't know if you've heard of foo stories. Not it's at all, but please, please go on. Fa- this is where I tell you a little tiny bit about the secret of happiness and well-being. Um, but a food story is a family of origin story. Okay. So, so many of the narratives that we have inside our heads, you know, the voices that we have inside our heads are based on our experiences in childhood, right? Mm. There's a genetic component, obviously, and then there's also a huge nurturing and socialization process that happens. Um, Oprah Winfrey famously said that the number one rule of happiness is, drum roll, money. Forgive your parents. <laughs> Interesting. Forgive your parents. How so? Forgive your parents. What if they haven't done anything? <laughs> well, look, I'm a mum of twins yep. who are 17. Have I done them a, f- a service or a disservice? There will be elements of disservice in there because of my way of bringing them up, my way of sort of asserting a certain worldview. Uh, the conversations that we have around the dinner table, um, you know, the the mantras that I have given given them and that my husband has given them, and you can you can't when we think about inter- intergenerational interaction, I can't experience the world in the same way that they they are experiencing the world. They're going to face completely different problems and challenges yeah. than the ones I faced when I was their age forty years ago. So, it's. You have to let, you have to let, I have to let them go. And it's a bit like that amazing book, um, The Prophet, where it talks about parents being like the bow, the metaphor, and the child being the arrow, mm. and you're just pointing the arrow. Yeah. And then you have to let let them fly. And that obviously involves, let you know, letting them go yeah. and hoping that they can stand on their own two feet and take on the challenges that life throws at them. Um, my biggest my biggest thing as a parent was always to which is which is the gift that my parents gave me which was the ability to think for yourself Mm. that's 
hopefully the gift I've given my kids, but I'm sure I've, you know, there will be problem areas that they're going to want to work through at some point. Well, no one's perfect, but yeah, obviously you can't, you know, if you're a leader, you, you can't change someone's essential being when you, when you take them under your wing at 35 or something, you know, a lot of that, well, that good stuff and that damage arguably is done. I would imagine between the ages of about zero and five. Mm-hmm. Yep. So for the leader, what can they actually do about that? Or is it just kind of too late and they just have to work with them the best they can? So I think, I mean, it starts with the leader and that's, it starts with them doing the work mm. on themselves. Right. So that has to be rule number one. Yeah. Um, that I acknowledge my own fallibility, that I acknowledge my own cognitive errors. So thinking errors. Um, I acknowledge my own biases. I igno- I, that is a process that we all go through. Um, that for me happened when I had my kids. I suddenly went, oh my goodness, I better do some work on myself now. <laughs> I could do huge damage or I can actually be incredibly helpful um, growing these kids up. So that is, you know, and some people go through the th- through their lives having not done the work. And I talk about the work and that could be therapeutic work. It could be coaching work. It can be going coming back to mentoring. It's a relationship that you have with another human being where that person probably has more experience than you. And that it's more of a tell relationship. It's more of a, I'm going to share you with you my stories. I'm going to share you with you my network. Mm. It's not about questions, which is what coaching is about. It's not necessarily about thinking. It's just... Can you help me to, um, you know, build my network, um, grow my personal brand? That's what mentoring is about. Um, so I think, um, I think, you know, that idea. I've completely lost my train of thought now. <laughs> <laughs> I, we can. I mean, it all sounded good so far. So I think that's you've uh, still got to the point of that. Yeah. One more question I wanted to go into just before we do start to wrap up. Yeah. D E and I is obviously something I know you're passionate about, and it's something that organizations nowadays do focus a lot more on thankfully um but from a purely cold-hearted performance point of view um does having a diverse workforce actually make a difference well we know that it does because there's a ton of research yeah. in this area and if you ask any of the big consulting firms gartner pwc they will pro- they will provide you with a plethora of independent studies that say that diverse teams in the form of more women more people from ethnic groups um, people um, with <coughs> neurodiverse um, people mm. can and do add huge, hugely to the performance of a team. Um, and so, yes, is the answer. It's a simple answer. Yeah. What's interesting is why is it that companies are not embracing that? That's the thing that we need to ask the question of. There's lots of different viewpoints on that. What do you think? What would you say the answer is? What's your perspective on it? I think it would depend on on the specific business, obviously. But I I would imagine it's just a lack of awareness or a lack... Well, is it? Yeah, I don't know. I'm questioning myself now. I would say lack of awareness in a lot of companies because I think if you showed them the numbers and just said, if you do focus on this, as you should be doing, Mm. um, you will increase profits by X amount, then I'm sure all businesses would do it. But I can imagine in a lot of other instances as well, there's just a sense of like, it doesn't matter for whatever reason. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here. And I'm going to say that um, this subject really underlines why when emotions are unmanaged, we end up in a bad place. Okay. 
So ultimately, the reason that DE&I is not really working is because what you're asking white men to do is share power. Mm. And some of them don't want to do that. Mic drop. Yeah, fair enough. Is that is there anything that can be done about that, do you think? For some people, they are never going to change. They are never, ever going to change. And you know what? There's other groups in that. It's not just about white men. Mm. Equally, there are white women who are quite <laughs> who are quite happy with the status quo. Um, so, look, there's, I think, an inherent worldview that we have adopted in the Western world, which is about... Um, there are limited places at the top table. Mm. Um, and therefore, in order to get a place at the top table, I have to take people out. Is that true? I mean, what if someone you know leaves the role on their own accord and then you fill that role? You haven't necessarily got someone out of the way. You've just filled a gap. I think if you look at the trends on talent mm. to date, what you will see is that... Um, CFOs are really comfortable with churn. They want churn because they are of the belief that we need to get rid of dead wood mm. and we need to and we need to bring in more more creativity. The point is there is creativity in every single business whether or not you truly understand how to unlock that creativity is the question at hand and that goes back to what, how we've started this conversation, which is what is performance? Performance is not carrot and stick. Performance is not about money. Performance is not about results. In fact, performance drives results, not the other way around. Most people believe that results drive performance. It's wrong. It's how I experience mm. It's the experience I'm having in a particular interaction with clients, with my colleagues, um, in terms of the job that I'm doing, that enables me to be the best version of myself, which then drives results. So that piece around emotional resonance so that I can be, I can feel happy, I can feel engaged, I can feel a sense of purpose and fulfillment that's what drives results it's 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 about emotion absolutely and experience yeah. <laughs> absolutely fascinating stuff Catherine. i think we'll start to wrap up now because i'm sure you've got a lot a lot on your plate a lot to get on with um but before you do obviously mm. just bring this all the way back to something i said at the beginning you are of course speaking at ignite london mm -hmm. um, which to our listeners takes place on the 29th and 30th of june um, across two days, obviously. So this event will help you to find insights, real-life case studies, and it's all aimed at just helping all your attendees learn more about B2B marketing. Um, but your particular session, which is on how to elevate and scale performance, mm. without giving it all away, mm. um, can you just give us a hint about what you're going to be talking about exactly? Um, really, I, I think um, helping to define performance for the audience, um, and the second is actually practicing, mm. practicing, uh, creating 
or connecting to possibilities. So we're going to have that as a live sort of audience participation um, and then a reflection on how did that make you feel? Because that's what, that's what elevates and scales performance. It's actually helping humans to imagine and create and connect with ideas. That's what makes us brilliant. Um, it's not fixing problems. It's not all of that boring stuff. Um, we need to. We need to create. We need to be. That's that's us in our element. That's in. That's us in our flow. Um, so create, create, create. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining. And uh, to our audience, if you are interested in joining at uh, at Ignite London, um, just follow the link in the description. So, Catherine, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye.